<laughs> and we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando, up here on the Smith River on the border of California and Oregon in the great state of Jefferson. We are here live with a very special guest who happens to be in that state of Jefferson as well, Dr. Richard Allen Miller. So excited for this one today. It's going to be a fun one. Um, Maybe. Oh, uh, it will be. Uh, for those that are new to Alpha Vedic, uh, we are an off-grid uh, herbal uh, farm and co-op uh, founded by Dr. Bear Paul Lando with over 40 years bioterrain medicine, uh, experience in bioterrain medicine, athletics, and agriculture. Uh, we, uh, if, you know, for those that are interested to learn more about us, go to our website, alphavedic.com. Uh, that's the best way to support us. We have our uh, handcrafted products there. Uh, our merchant merchandise line is now out again, and we have some uh, new awesome shirts. Or I've got a new shirt and uh, new uh, hats, and um, we have our new Illumin line that's coming out next week, finally. So we're very excited about that. And uh, you can find all about that at alphavedic.com. Thanks for joining us today. Dr. Richard Allen Miller, renowned Renowned physicist, author, and polymath is on with us today. Uh, he has a long and extensive resume in the fields of physics, metaphysics, and agriculture. His very rich and varied resume includes solid-state physics, playing tennis at a Davis Cup level, to states of consciousness, and much in between. Prodigious from an early age, two of Richard Miller's high school science projects were adopted by NASA, including one used in the Mariner 4 mission to determine the amount of water on the planet Mars. At age 16, he built a linear accelerator and hydrogen bubble chamber for a science fair project and was the first American to demonstrate particles going faster than the speed of light. He's been involved in research and projects, many at top secret level that have formed the basis of several modern-day scientific inventions. Miller's research in the field of paranormal began as a graduate physicist working 11 years with Navy Intel. His work includes foundational papers on a holographic concept of reality and embryonic holograph, holog, uh, holography and work holography. with... Holography, thank you, sir. <laughs> and work with microwaves and synthetic telepathy. He was used as Timothy Leary's experimental guinea pig to see what the effects of LSD were when taken by a Mensa-level genius. Dr. Miller was the real-life character that the X-Files Fox Mulder was based on, investigating unexplained phenomena for Navy SEAL Corp and MRU, which put him in the path of many incredible life experiences, including an encounter with an alien and travel to an underground Nazi base. Uh, he conducted ESP experiments with astronaut Edgar Mitchell on the dark side of the moon, and he developed early protocols and trained Navy SEALs in ESP and super soldier techniques. As an agriculturalist, he is recognized expert in the growing and marketing of crops and herbals and has invented ingenious and effective farm machinery specific to the type of crops to be harvested and had input into production of some of the largest crop producers in the world. His metaphysical works spring from his mother and grandmother, who were renowned psychic investigators, and he himself is a high-level initiate of several traditions and lodges. His grandfather was the magician who trained Houdini. Dr. Miller's key strength is in joining the dots and drawing from his vast pool of research and insight to find ingenious links and applications for designs, projects, and development. As an author, he has written prolifically with some most... 
Uh, recent releases including Power Tools for the 21st Century and ESP Induction through Forms of Self-Hypnosis. He also has recently released audio courses in metaphysics. And all of that is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Dr. Richard Allen Miller, live and in effect today, Dr. Lando. Wow, what a guest we have today. Hey, Rick, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, hey, we've had some amazing conversations on the phone, so uh, good. Uh, thanks so much for being here today. Uh, my only regret is we didn't record our phone conversations because that would have been uh -huh. at least six podcasts in themselves there. And uh, you and I have a lot of uh, kind of like parallel experiences in life, uh, including some uh, wazoo history and, and uh, agriculture and all sorts of other things, athletics. So, uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start. I have so many questions for you, and I'd love to get into some agriculture because I know you've made that shift recently or maybe not so recently. So uh, let's just let you take it, uh, get us started, and, and we'll see where we go here. Wazoo, uh, we can start with talk about. Wazoo. They have a brand new uh, reading club that they've started for alumni. I don't know if you've got your notice, but I got mine. I trolled for a little bit, and I left. They wanted you to write the most memorable thing I remember about Pullman. And as a physicist, I remember that it was possible to walk all the way around campus, return, to the same spot where you started and be continually going uphill. <laughs> you, well, you have to realize uh, during the summers, I learned how to cut wheat. And so the deal was, I first you start with trucks going to the elevator and then you get to get to the combine once you've been doing it a couple of years for a given farm. And it was always the one lane roads back in Pullman uh, were up and down because you couldn't see anything coming because there were so many hills. And so they were one laner. And then when you had a full load of wheat going to the elevator, you always got way over to the right so that when you hit the other car on coming, it was their fault. I remember that part. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I played football there, you know, I went uh, on a scholarship out of high school and, uh, you know, of course, all the ball players were from other places in the world and we were all landed in Pullman, you know, and this was back in the 60s. And uh, our favorite saying about Pullman is, well, it's not the end of the earth, but you can sure see it from here. That's, uh, of course, <laughs> they own the gravity wave generator in Texas. And so uh, Pullman has its own thing. They brought in uh, Dr. Knowles. Um, to teach a graduate course on a linear accelerator because of May and what I did in high school. My undergraduate uh, thesis, I did an undergraduate thesis. I graduated three degrees with English literature with Lou Slonim and uh, I had uh, physics and under Raymond Band, uh, little known band theory and then uh, mathematics uh, with Dr. Knowles. And uh, so I have three degrees from Pullman and I built the first plasma jet. And I remember it was in my junior year, I spent all summer down in the basement uh, learning how to use a Bridgeport mill so that I could lap that surface. I had to go down there absolute zero with a two-stage mercury fusion pump. And they brought in a, a special glass blower all the way from Germany to teach me how to blow glass so that I didn't have any outgassing problems with the smoothness of the glass and so on for the temperatures I was working at near absolute zero. And I remember when I turned the switch on, one of my professors, uh, I think it was uh, 
Oh, I forget who it was. He thought I was going to blow up the campus because I had this massive generator. And what I did is I went ping, and there was this light about this long, uh, maybe 16 inches, and it was 60 times hotter than the surface of the sun. And the first thing I did is I put titanium uh, tungsten rod in, and it vaporized it. Wow. And that was the first application that was used on that device I created as an undergraduate thesis with Giannini, then used that to do the space tiles so they could flash on uh, those metals on the front panel so that when the ast astronauts came back in from outer space, they weren't fried like, you know, Colonel Sanders. Um, so j just to be clear for our audience, we're talking about Washington State University in Pullman, yes, Washington. Wazoo. Yeah, Washington, University of Washington, which is where I started, is the fourth richest campus in the world. Had a nuclear power plant right in the center of campus. Um, we were off campus where the linear accelerator that Noel did. He taught a graduate course, and I was there as a junior taking a graduate level course in linear accelerators because I was the one that helped design it. He'd come in from Yale. When I came out of graduate school and was working in anesthesiology, um, the guy that did chip implants from Yale uh, was in the lab next to me, uh, Delgado, and he was doing chip implants with rhesus monkeys. And John Moore, uh, Moore was in the lab otherwise doing ketamine, telepathing and BZ studies. You have no idea what I was doing. And I remember because my lead at that time was Jerry Pollack, who has just recently written a book on uh, the four threes of water. He was my lead. He didn't have my level of security. And so anesthesiology at the UW was on two floors. There was fourth floor, which was locked down, and then 12th floor were all the guys in, you know, because anesthesiology is number one in medicine. When you take someone's life support down near zero and you hold them there while they do terrible things to your body, um, <laughs> you know, you better know what you're doing because uh, I remember those, <laughs> they gave me tenure. That's why I quit. I couldn't do OR. I, I just, mm. you know, I wasn't, I didn't go to school to watch, uh, you know, hold someone's life supports down. I, I was a nerd. And uh, mostly my academics were in physics. I had a couple doctorates in physics, uh, one in Jungian psychotherapy from James Hillman. Can you imagine? And then I had another one from Harvard Medical when I was teaching metaphysics back there. I picked up a medical degree so, and did internship. So, Rick, well, uh, can I ask a quick question? I'm just sure. really curious about it. It has to do with anesthesiology. Now, you know, of course, when you're put under, you lose sensation, but it's impossible to lose consciousness. So what's our consciousness doing with uh, all that the surgeon's doing ah, to our body during that time? The question of the century, imagine that. You're um, near waking up almost, because of course, where you are right now, it's a dream state. Why? You're not seeing reality, you're filtering it. And you're filtering it in limitations of conceptualizing concepts like space or time, which aren't real, by the way. You know, physics starts off with some truths. Um, shortest distance between two points, a straight line. With that, I can prove the Earth's round. But if space is curved, I can prove with tensor math that it's flat. Now, is it flat or round? And the correct answer is 
Yes, because if you choose to look at realities <laughs> with some truths and definitions, that's what you do. Some truths, definitions. That's why physics will never really get you there any more than religion and why you have two brains. Um, that's with the decision and why each of us are uniquely different from each other is that concept of having choice. And because of our limitations, we really don't see what's going on around us. For example, dolphin, and this is an area where my physics, my concept of physics was disproven. And it continually through the centuries is like that. I think the only thing that's ever lasted for any length of time in physics is Maxwell's hitching out here, you know, that right hand rule of thumb. I mean, pretty much everything else is uh, anything goes. And um, with that said, space isn't really real. It's the way you choose to assimilate what you're presuming. And Heisenberg had that uncertainty. When you go from an analog into a digital system, you take something that's a continuous wave and you digitize it. With that digitization on either side comes the so-called uncertainty principle. The more you know about one thing, the less you know about something else. And so if your measurements are in space and time and you're going down into microwave band, you know, 5G, whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> raining down, down to the atomic level, um, well, now you have no idea what you're doing because it isn't even a wave or a particle is, uh, yes, is it a wave or is it a particle? It's neither because our concept of matter is incorrect or limited. Uh, the example I would normally give to you is when I would, and this is a simple one for lay, what color is that fence over there? Oh, it's brown. Yeah, well, you've made an assumption without even assuming it. The other side of the fence is covered, colored. Same thing with God. You can't know God. You can experience them. You have no clue. And to try to contemplate what God could do, you know, in six days with everything, microbiosis and all of that, six days, boom. Well, I remember... Zap Comics with Mr. Natural doing Susie Cream Cheese in the Big Bang. So uh, I can't understand uh, why people get locked into belief systems and then make judgment on another uh, because to reinforce the fact that they may be more right than they are, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I, think, you know, uh, I think that has to do with, the, as Steiner would say, the ego body. Right. Well, and, the, yeah. Well, Carl Jung. Uh, there's. Uh, he started with Sigmund Freud. I remember he had his ego, super ego, and the id. And um, but Jung, I love the way he said that. What's it like to be on the shoulders of a great man? Asking Sigmund Freud. You know, sitting on the shoulders of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And Carl Jung responded, looking down. Well. One can see much further from up here. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek had their physics was a different form of metaphor that Gregory Bateson or others would talk about. Bateson, uh, when I took a course from him down in California, he said, what is your metaphor but to serve your paradox? 
and how you go from one concept to the next in their relationship of Chongkang. Uh, that's called cybernetic anthropology, by the way. Um, <laughs> Did you say to serve your paradox or your paradise? I didn't catch that. Paradox. Okay, so I thought. Yeah. So I have a pair of ox out in my meadow. My metaphor. What is yes. your metaphor? <laughs> but to serve your paradox. Paradox. Yeah. And they, you say you lose the translation with your own limitations of, hmm, <laughs> you know. And I've always tried to speak on a lot of levels at one time so that each time you play this last piece we did, you're going to learn something new each time. Uh, good luck. Yeah. Real, real quick so, on that. Uh, Rick, go, oh, go ahead, Barry. I had a question. About, I had a question. About last time. I go can't ahead. believe it. Sorry. <laughs> what? Uh, Rick, I was, I'm just fascinated by your, uh, you, just your history. And uh, now you did some work at Harvard there, and then that uh, brought you in touch with the whole uh, um, Timothy Leary experience. So no, what no, was no. Behind Harvard, that whole Harvard was much later. In 1964, before Andrew Will did his little, you know, disseminating drugs are bad, um, they decided they wanted to, this was because of Hoffman and other studies, they wanted to know what would happen if they gave LSD to a gifted person. And 20 kids were identified. I was one up in Washington. Larry came all the way out in 1964, talked to my mom, then went to Pullman, where I was 20 years old doing my undergraduate work. I was married at that time. And uh, Bill Osley, I got to meet Bill. Oh, man. He thought he was a good cook. Wait, let's see what I can do. I had Albertson Gorky at MIT, and that was quantum biochemistry as a physics course. And so I, you know, had some serious, you know, awakenings, and I was blessed because I was always spiritual. And uh, spirituality is not what you do, but how you do it, the quality in which you go about your personal pursuit. That's where you get closer to the Lord. And uh, that place is uh, a man on fire, <laughs> I can assume. I believe Alistair Crowley calls that being inflamed, you know, where you're caught up in the poetry of the action. Who said that? Oh, that's a Vidaru Telamahandi in a movie I made at Evergreen called Eat the Sun, Then You Will Be Your Own Father. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting video to go back to. I remember making that. Um, Arguella was above me. I was in the basement teaching physics at Evergreen, and he was up doing mandalas. And I had already, wow, that's a long time. In 1974, I was uh, on a doctoral program. Robert Buchanan uh, was doing his doctorate in music as an orchestra conductor, and his thesis topic was on cymatics, and so they had to have a physicist on his review board so that he could, you know, pass his PhD because the people in music had no clue. And um, cymatics is where we started to understand the distinction between color and light. And when you do cymatics with light, that's quite different than color. Mm. Color is a single bandwidth. Light is always a bandwidth. And when you realize 
blue for relaxation. That includes a, a short UV light, which is harmful to the eye. These vehicles that are driving with these uh, tight, you know, the different lights that are blue, they're very harmful to your light. Why they use blue on your computer and letting you know that's not good because that's light, not color. Get me? Yeah, so the mandala. That's a very important <clears throat> concept. The mandala. The mandala. Mathematics <laughs> is now going because what I did back in the 70s is I wrote three books on video feedback systems after I had set up the Manager Foundation to study uh, Keith Milton Reinhardt at the Aquarian Foundation and Jack Swartz was from Aletheia. Uh, well, he wasn't Aletheia back then, but that's what he became. You know, Jack Schwartz, for example, could take a big needle, stick it through his arm, pull it out, and be spurting blood, and he just goes, stop, and it stops bleeding. Yeah, did you meet you him? You don't think the military didn't want to know how that worked. Did you meet you him? Know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, do that one, man. Hey, and Rick, so Rick, did you, uh, <laughs> did you hang out with Jack Schwartz? Well, he lived here in Grants Pass for a number of years, didn't he? Yeah, now, I know. I've been here since 84, so, you know, 40, almost 40 years, yeah. I knew he was Jack. a real. He was a real deal, right? People, there's a lot of. Well, there's a lot of real him. deals out there. My girlfriend that I've lived with now seven years is a fourth state empath. She can touch you in any place on your body and know what's wrong in other parts of the body and be mm -hmm. dead on. How does she do that? You know, we have a lot of sensory motor inputs going on, and what we're doing is filtering because she'll be sitting there watching TV with me on the screen. And she'll say, there's something coming out of, the, out of the screen at me. And I said, that's ectoplasm. That's a pre-matter where psyche uses that to psyche into matter. Mm -hmm. And people see that. Everybody sees that, you know, especially in a dark theater. But what you do is you presume it's not real. And so the boogeyman under the, under the bed. <laughs> is he real or not real? Is the earth flat or round? <laughs> and it's like that Indiana Jones movie where the uh, Temple of Doom and she comes swirling out on stage and anything goes. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much your mind's eye is where it all happens. It's not about physics. That's not, a, it's not about physics. I watched up in Tibet. I went up to Tibet. Uh, this is Nepalese design, you know with my SEAL team to either putting Navy intelligence. I have one that says Navy Intel on it. And this one is my boxing club when I sit Quantico. But the Buddhists, Tibetan Buddhists, will take these big long horns. They're like, it's very similar to the ones in the Alps. Oh, and it'll do this big, deep, bass tone thing. And when you do 17 of them, in a certain geometry row, it so compresses the air that large stones are lifted that you can push with a single finger. May I please have the knife? <laughs> I love the Buddhist things. I'm going to guess that that spacecraft on the other side of the moon <laughs> is probably Buddhist. Um, there are I'm now watching the Clovis being undone down past Puebla uh, when my mentor, Stan Krippner, took me down there. And that facility that they're doing all these different digs around 
Republic is uh, bigger than New York City, and that Clovis had spaceflight, just like in France in the Cave of Dreams. You you go into the Cave of Dreams, and uh, there's this bison. You know, oh, a caveman printed that one. Except there is ex a bunch of dots around the eye, which constitute a star map. And the one further south is the same star map, only in reverse. And the only way you get it in reverse is when you're off the Earth. So, and then there's Ramana and, you know, other kinds of mythological parts. Now, the Greek, the reason I was bringing up the Greek is their technology was quite different than anything we've encountered, including Pendishads that had Nikolai Tesla stuff and Chi uh, and da-da-da-da-da and do-do-do-do-do. Um, their forms uh, worked with archetypal encounters and the tree of life uh was so positioned and so on that there were 22 stories in the big city and what you were to do in third generation imaginal psychology is to determine whether you're possessed means only one storyboard going on or complex <laughs> more than one four or five, you know, different storyboards going on. Each, each one has an ending, may not be what you have in mind for your life. And that's how you change the movie, using path working. And the way I like to put it is that all systems work, golden dawn, your own systems, that's where grade seven is, adeptus exemptus, master of the temple create your own universe. Um, that place is to identify storyboards like Psyche at the Well of Souls has, or Persephone having to go to Hades once a year. Um, each one of these are forming complexes and that's what my book on Tarot is, is about is to identify what storyboards are going on inside you. Once you have those you know how they're going to end, you know, mythology. And what you do now is, is if that's not exactly what you have going on and we would like to see happening, you can go in and change the movie by doing pathworking, Malkuth, Esod, things of that way. That's one way of doing it, not the way, it's a way. And it works and has historical continuity through history. Crowley brought it into the 21st century from Golden Dawn when they were battling with each other and being creepy. I've had a lot of people think I'm a Satanist. Oh, you like Crowley. No, I'm not a Crowleyite. I'm a scholar. And I'm beyond anything anybody ever dreamed of. I don't do little boy's foreskin for adenochrome. I don't need to do that. You can do that yourself. Goosebumps, for example, on your body, whew, is when you're creating stem cells. That's how you do immortality if you'd like to play. Um, and you can do that with your mind's eye. And so you have some choices. You want to wake up? That's what the Buddhists do in their Bordeaux Sadol. They say at the moment of death, you're offered a last choice. And uh, that choice is either the blue light, which is getting off the wheel, karma. You know, you're going back to the Lord. Or you have this tunnel of light that... Uh, Kubler-Ross and others talk about, Mar uh, even Alexander, you know, whomever. Um, 
And that tunnel of light reminds me of birth canal. So how does that work? Well, at the moment of death, we've now measured a five gram weight loss in everybody. What is that? Yeah, that? the spirit body. Well, what does that mean? It's got weight to it. Why? What does that mean? So I got five grams. Well, how about it's a subtle body outside the physical body? Uh, we'll just arbitrarily, in today's physics, call it microtubule filled with structured water. That's a good way to look at it. Well, five grams. Now, this is a metaphor, like space it isn't real. What I'm about to propose isn't real, but it's a way of connecting to your mind's eye. Because once you see it in your mind's eye, that's what makes it real. The imagination. Here we go. A little book here. Imagination is reality. Yes. Good old yeah, young. Got a copy of that? Go ahead and check that out. This is me in the late 60s and 70s reading <laughs> these kinds of things. And, you know, just showing you that the whole thing, you know, I'm from pages and making notes and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, crib notes and so on, because I'm thorough. And uh, when you realize that there's something else going on here, um, five well, grams of structured water, it, by the way, structured water is one million times more efficient or storage capacity than gallium arsenic or gallium arsenide that you're using in your computer chip. When you take two metals and you put them together like that, they form a forbidden zone. That's your checksum error area where you do your memory storage in computer chips. And uh, you can layer it and you can all cube it and type do 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 be it uh, as we get better and better. But water, hydrogen and oxygen, it's H3O2, structured water, and that has a what do they call it? Exclusion zone, zone. Jerry. Not a forbidden zone. I'll call it exclusion zone. What that is, is where all the memory goes. When water touches anything, it changes. And that's Rustam Roy's work at Penn State University in homeopathy, the doctorate in physics. And you can drop a single drop of something in water, and it restructures the entire thing because water's touching it. Just like when water in a wave is touching it. By the way, the wave you can show as a form of cold fusion. Actually, it's an example of cold fusion. And that's Mark Leclerc's work at MIT. Now, um, right now, and go guess what? The dolphin, we were talking about dolphin, blow a little sonoluminescent bubbles and play with them like a little game thing that they do with their artwork. It's a form of cold fusion that is now where we're studying this uh, concept of um, cavitation processes and the true nature of time and what it is and what it is not. And cavitation processes is when a drop of water hits a pool of water, a series of things happen. A drop of water goes down into the pool before it pops back up again. But when it pops back up again, it's no longer a drop of water. It's a bubble that has captured the medium in which it was falling, airspace, whatever. And that is what Roger Penrose calls Taurus Twister space into the out of. 
And uh, there's wave that that bubble, by the way, is formed when the drop goes in. The waves that are going out, that's your future. Your past is when it slaps, but forms the bubble up again, touching air. And as it's going up, changes into vortex. And vortex physics to be distinguished from all Hawking's. And actually, Stephen Hawking's and Roger Penrose wrote a book together. And point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. And at the end of the book, it came to the same conclusion. And so physics isn't, you can't get there from here with physics. There will never be a toe. Altered states that you have just gone like me and all these different places are tools in a toolbox because the laws of physics change. And what I'm doing for the military right now is mapping an ontology of where one starts and the other stops as gifts or tools. Like when you're on methamphetamine, you have the strength of 10 like an ant. That's a hive consciousness place. And so you can do work with that. I first discovered that in the ESP studies I did with Ed Mitchell. Remember, in 1971, you know, Mission Control, Cape Canaveral, both ESP and hypnosis were pseudosciences. Yeah. So you have to understand who I am and where I am in the scheme of all of that. I, you know, I'm a lead scout for the military. I'm, uh, I know I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm bald now. Look at that. How's that one feel? I took my cue off of 70 years. I had a cue for 70 years and now it's being used for make a voodoo doll. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're while we're on some of these subjects, you know, we talked about your involvement with the Navy SEALs and uh, and them being taught remote viewing and and paranormal skills such as that. Is that still going on? <laughs> I did that in the early early seventies with SEAL Corp out of Amherst, and uh, remote viewing is not astral projection. And uh, Alex Kavarainen, who is an exceptional physicist, he's dead now, but in my humble opinion, he's the one that did all the mathematics for Jerry Pollock. Jerry didn't do the math, it was Alex Kavarainen. He had a protege, Matty, Matty Pitkin, uh, that isn't Alex Kavarainen. Alex Kavarainen, in my humble opinion, he was a writer like me in a very rare zine on the internet called uh, emergent mind bulletin. You can look it up. And uh, Leon Sidorov was the editor. She was Lusky, uh, Russian. She stopped when she had babies. She got pregnant and had children, and so they stopped that. But Alex has some articles in there on the distinction between astral projection and surely out on a limb and uh, remote viewing and the possibility of it being extremely dangerous for your soul. And so all these kids that are now doing it, that's, uh, yeah, Dean Radin did that. But Dean Radin didn't write real magic. Isaac Bonwitz wrote real magic. And so, you know, 20 years earlier. And so that's what Dean Radin gave out of Texas with Putoff and some of these others that were doing those works. Um, where what they're doing is radiosegia is considered outside the body. And Ryan's original forms of study, there was either stuff from you or stuff not from you. 
and shamans were a low level. That's John Curtis Gowan in the eight, chapter eight in Power Tools talking about ontologies of mystical states. And the shaman would take his consciousness and place it in an eagle and then see what the eagle saw. But he didn't know how to do that. He just did it. Right? He didn't have control of it. The Greek then started working with myths, dreams, and archetypes in what's called parataxic modes of consciousness, trance states, you know, where you're in a semi-hypnopopic, hypnagogic state, and you're in this place, of, you know, you're not here or there, but you're here. And that place is where a lot of magic occurs. You're closer to psyche because what you're doing, you have neurotransmitters that are like acting as resonant cavity or dialoguing with these subtle bodies. And now you can take, do things like placebo from 10% where you are now, and you can make it 60% in your mind's eye, I'm healthy, boom, just like that. And uh, your immune system just needs more oxygen, just like your gut needs more bacon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a, what is my dog, you know, the gay guy goes up to, uh, what's his face, and he says, why does my dog love you more than me? And he looked at him and said, I feed it bacon. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for the yeah. Well, I know, I know that movie. Uh, that's a, you know, uh, as good as it gets. But yep. uh, you know, <laughs> I, it is um, a way of being when you can pay attention to instinct, because when you do that, you do not, by definition, make mistakes. And so that was the first of eight protocols I trained SEALs in to be Superman. Wow. I, first thing I did, the team number one, there were only eight of them on the first game, not 40. <laughs> there were only eight of us. And what I did is I measured their ESA. I wanted the people that were intuitive. And if, you, if they could do that, I could train them and everything else. Because, you know, martial arts, that kind of thing, that's very simple. If you learn how to control, and everything in the chapter in Power Tools, how to, I was, that's why I brought those out to you. I started sales with didgeridoos, learning how to do continuous breathing. And I would always have a practice one first because it was simpler having a smaller hall, you know, and you learn how to, it's a little longer so it has the same tongue base. And you just put it in there. And usually they'll have either you know, wax or something up in here. Mine's gone now because this is really old. And once you did that, then you graduated to what Kill Bill did, which was an American Indian flute. And uh, you, you learn how to blow your thing and go into harmonics and so on, like Kenny J. And of course, you <laughs> build one first, a simple one, so that it's easier to learn how to play before you go into one that has, you know, you're tuning it and all that kind of thing, so on. Then, when you want to go over the edge and get real creepy, then you do a little Piper Pan. Imagine that one. <laughs> I watched Kenny G at the Brit one time. Band got up on stage and they started playing a little jazz thing. And all of a sudden, you hear this sound way back at the edge of the thing. He blew a single note all the way from the back of the crowd, nine minutes to walk up on stage. And if you don't think everybody was up on their feet by that moment. Now, 
What continuous breathing does is allows you to control your perception of time without passing out. Now, if you can do that, your martial arts becomes paranormal. And uh, you're, you're, everything you're doing, you're fuck, 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 just like that. You're like you're like Neo. You're, <laughs> you're like Neo in the Matrix. Well, it's the Matrix. That's what this is. It's like a Matrix because you're here in a video game. If you choose to look at it that way, for hundred thousand times, option before you decide to get bored and want to put down Mario. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, this place is a tool for purpose. And purpose is why you chose to be here in the first place. Good luck discovering that. In fact, it isn't a place. That's the deal. Say, it doesn't work like that. You just don't have the concept yet. And that's what we do. Like Tucson, or no, it was a tombstone with laudanum and uh, addiction and the concept. They had no concept of addiction back then, like spousal abuse and gambling, you know, just laudanum. But they used it for pain. And Aleister Crowley, for example, died of heroin addiction when he in Hastings in 47. Teacher can only take you as far as they themselves have gone. I'm limited. We're all limited. We have our blind spots. And what we do is uh, aspire toward making something more sure. Now, that's the purpose of Path Work and Changing the Movie, trying to go what you feel is an important place to do. And, you know, Gecko, you know, greed is good. I learned how to fight in the Philippines using uh, sticks. Ah, yeah. Bang, 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 bang. Um, just as a kid, because, you know, at age four years old, if you wanted to play in the jungles, uh, the monkeys, the little monkeys, they'd come eat you. And I had a sequel in 51. Maybe it was 19... It was 19 1950. He took two monkey sticks. These are approximately usually the ones I worked with are almost like three feet. You're back and forth and connected a chain between them. And now if he goes a whack, 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 and it would hit the monkey 15 feet away, nine feet away, excuse me. And the monkey. Couldn't figure out how you could reach that far. And freaked them out as a meme. And that's when monkeys stopped eating children in the Philippines, 1950. These are what they called a nanchuck. And later, Bruce Lee picked that up with his Wing Chun down in San Francisco. But it all started, that, started, that one happened in the Philippines. I was there when it happened. I watched that. And so now when I go camping up in BC, um, you couldn't carry a big enough rifle to drop a grizzly bear. Black bear, brown bear, that's different. But a grizzly bear, um, you know, we're talking about monster. And when they hunt you, and I was hunted once by grizzly. I got that story sometime. Wow. Woke me up big time. I was hunting with my dad. Dad was a bounty hunter. He would be hired by farmers to take out animals, bears. They would come down out of Canada because they were too old to hunt anymore, and they'd prey on them cattle up in the Okanagans, and that's what my dad did. That's where I learned how to hunt, you know, the little brat mountain boy. 
I tell you, I got chased by a grizzly once, and I'm really, really lucky. So what I do now, you couldn't even carry a pistol. You know, do a scare him with a tap gun. Um, my dad, when he would hunt a grizzly, would use a 400 Thompson ball and then put a 22 long rifle down inside the ball so that when it hit the bear, it exploded and uh, tear the bear apart, like a 3,000 pound bear. Um, what I do now, and I got real good with it, just like Indiana Jones, I carry a bullwhip. Same concept. The bear, even with cubs, will stand up and look at you, trying to figure out how you can snap something that sounded like a 30-06 going in front of it. Pow! And it scare him. And he'll look at you and then leave you alone. And that's all I want to do, get along. I don't want to ever kill anything. You know, I just want to survive. And that's what IQ is, survival coefficient. And that's uh, it's not measuring how smart we are or not. There's all kinds of intelligence, you know. Some people are a little slower, more thorough. Some people are faster and uh, make error. And uh, we all get there at the same time because time isn't real. Yeah. And you know, I think some intelligence studies uh, also find that uh, the most intelligent or highest scoring peoples on a planet are nomadic people. Well, which would that's one with study. <laughs> yeah. I like the way Tina Turner put it better, though. What's love got to do with it? I, you know, I, um, <laughs> I mean, really, man, um, nomadic is uh, kind of like a cultivar. You know, if you live on the coast, that's Gurdjieff, eating your environment. You know, obviously, if you live on the coast, you eat fish. And if you live in the Midlands, you, you know, okay, you're eating grain and, you know, seeds. Um, birds, same thing. I, you know, I've got different kinds of birds out here on the second floor, and I've got red-headed woodpeckers, and I've got albinos or pygmies. They're little tiny ones with stripes and things that are really cool, smart. Third-generation pygmies started landing on my shoulder, just like in uh, Uncle Amos. It's a beautiful day today in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, the guy walking down there, Walt Disney, good luck. Um, I, <laughs> well, that's what I really want to do. I want to make you laugh because there's enough things to get serious about that, you know, I, we need more laughter. By the way, that's the way you make it through. The two primary paths to God are the hermit and the lovers on the outer paths. And you either do it androgynously, or you have a reflected mate in the external world that reflects that feminine part of yourself inside. And the path that connects the two of them, you know, the, this one right in here, that's humor. It goes right through the middle of the abyss and dot. And really, <laughs> being a hermetic complex, I, I've had to rethink the way I look at things just to have a better sense of not lying to myself. That's what you must not do. You must always have that dialogue going on. Uh, in magic, they call it K and Sig, knowledge and conversation. Um, others have called it self-realization. It's dialogue. And everybody's got it. They just don't hear it. Yeah. They filter it out. And then at some point, you're not sure whether that's me talking to myself or someone's planning something in my head. Yeah, that's, the that's why ritual, the Greek, had a switch going from the profane into the sacred. A magician, for example, will smell a lot terrible, hasn't had a bath in months, and then when he's going to do a ritual, he washes himself, cleanses himself before he does the ritual, 
as being something different than vulgar. And uh, it's a metaphor. And Walt Disney drew it with a circle in the sand, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Everything inside the circle is May. Everything outside that circle is not May. Well, many worlds to Rome, the unfortunate does it with white light, you know, wrapping around and, you know, visualization. What is real is not the ritual, it's the celebration of it in your mind's eye. And once you understand that tool, now there's a bunch of possibilities. And uh, what you need to do then is get a North Star coordinate system that you appreciate. That could be your church values, could be anything. You need a North Star so you know which direction you're going toward Rome, because you're moving. That's a given. Which way? <laughs> that makes sense or it was a metaphor yeah yeah you um so we've been talking about a lot of different things here from cavitation and exclusion zone water to harmonics um, that's what i do spirituality <laughs> and, yeah and my and you're really good like you said at connecting all the dots and we, we're all about solutions here at alpha vedic and, 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 and you know <laughs> Do you see, I, I have a question here for you, Rick. Uh, do you see all of this kind of coalescing together, this kind of what I call spiritual science for the future? Do you see, where do you see humanity going right now? Do you see a breaking off of two paths? Do you see, are you positive about where we're going? Can we, can we embrace this spirit science? Or are we kind of going down the left-hand path? Where, where are you seeing everything going right now? How did Johnny Depp put, put it when he was talking to the Lone Ranger? What do you mean, we, white man? <laughs> Each of us have our own get out of jail cards. And you already know what they are. It's uh, waking up and paying attention. That everybody has to get off the couch at some point. And it uh, doesn't matter what Jay Leno says about Doritos. And don't worry, we'll make more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you will. Uh, but it's about the fact that none of us get out of here until you get off the couch. That's why I'm talking to you right now. Wakey, wakey. Crocodile Bendy. You know, so whether you do it now or you do it next lifetime, I got 100,000 of them. Mississippi one, Mississippi two. Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to explain what I just said, except for you to understand that it's different for each of us. It actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's why you don't learn something, you study it. It's like you're, you're, you take something of mine and you integrate it into your already genius thing that you're doing, which is different than my thing, and you make it yours. That's uh, why a sifu will say you don't learn something, you study it. Everybody does Tai Chi differently. Some people can go down further, some people are a little more rounded. You know, there's a da da do 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 you know. There's all these different things. I remember one story, this is a good story. The SEAL Team 1, we're in this room together, and I flipped the switch off, and I said, last man standing. <laughs> And I hear him thumping down all around. Finally, there's this one guy coming toward me. 
And what I was was already on my back because that's how I learned how to fight in the Philippines. Oh, hard on me. I had, you know, in the Philippines, I never did one. There's always four or five of them on top of you because it's a bully system. And um, what I did is most people don't have a defense when they're standing for fighting coming up. That's why, and okay. So then when the guy went thud down, turned the light back on, I said, what did you guys all learn? <laughs> I laughed because nothing is true. And when I said last man standing, it had a whole different kind of connotation to it than what he thought it did. And that's why you play these things over and over as you get something new each time. Yeah. He just yeah, couldn't so have been watch him. <laughs> I loved Alan Watts. You know, toward the end of his life, he was teaching up at Cold Mountain Institute out of on a little lake island up in the San Juans. And he asked me to teach with him because of my form of Buddhism was different than his. I was uh, raised Northern Shaolin. And I have very, there's only one other person that I know nationally that uses the form I do, which is called Hangao as opposed to Hangar. And that's uh, Stormin Norman Cantwell, this big monster. <laughs> he's so cool. Uh, he's out of Chicago and he does Hangao, which is very, very rare. That's what was taught up in John Leong, Leong's form uh, in Seattle. And, uh, and then my Tai Chi part, came from Chan Te Ching out of Victoria. He was a Tai Chi Chan Buddhist that came down once a week and taught at Dr. Bestier's naturopathic school upstairs. And uh, I got to take special lessons from him. He saw me as special. So rather than giving me full kata, I had to learn how to walk for one full year before he taught me anything. And it's interesting because that's where I learned continuous breathing. I didn't go through the schools that I trained SEALs, but I did it by a Sifu that had me walk for one full year. It's like meditating or being a vegetarian for a little while. You have to do it for a period before your blood types start to ooze out the particular enzymes that you need for digestion. And uh, I have done it all and know who I am. And uh, I, uh, been doing this since the 60s, and uh, I don't do very much of anything else. And what I'm doing now is learning, not studying, I'm learning how to, that's different, how to change. I can simulate any drug experience using sound and light now. And those are the three books I've written on the diamond body, electromagic, and yogatronics. And it's based on the work I did under Buckminster Fuller at all, uh, when I worked for Buck uh, and did what is called the Marshall Papers. Bob Marshall was the idiot savant that nobody could understand him and was on heroin, he was addicted, but he was a genius and uh, visual, especially. He could do things that I, I was, you know, I was amazed. Uh, for one chapter, chapter three, was Remon, now over 150. 20 years ago, I think it was, challenged the mathematical community to come up with a mathematical expression for recurring primes on a base 10. That would be like 17, 19, 23, da, 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 da. And Marshall, on a yellow tablet, drew a pitch of a pyramid, did it with numbers, 
And then he did numbers going around it in a different pitch. You could draw a straight line through it. That's chapter three, Riemann. Now, that kind of genius is what you find in children. Mm -hmm. And I'm was one of those children. I was a gifted child, uh, but I got socialized and became normal. I, so I'm an, you'll notice I move a lot. That's because I'm 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 humming <laughs> and I'm drawing. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, am a functioning savant, and um, we're all have these qualities, and we choose to disregard them. And if you choose not to do that, what age do you want to be? You can regenerate that nerve tissue. Ward Dean has written, he was Surgeon General for the Marine Corps, uh, has written a book called Biological Aging Mechanisms, Clinical Approach, where he has gone to all the different universities in the world and how they measure aging. And each one's different, and every single one of them is reversible. No doubt. Well, that's because it's about the moment. And once you, once you understand that place, what you're trying to do is make that moment sacred where it's timeless. You do that sometimes in lovemaking and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, it's not a place. It's like Simon says, you can go halfway to the door and you focus on the door as your goal but you can't with that protocol ever make the door and you miss the journey. That's what, where mankind's limitations lie in the food chain of where we are in animals. And once you understand some of that and achieve what the Pandashads called Nam, you know, bliss states. Uh, now you can do the real work. And that's work on your spirit part of the quality of what goes back to the Lord when you leave this place. And that's really what you're all trying to do is make yourself better. And uh, it isn't about money. Um, somehow, like prison, you have things that you need, not things you want. <laughs> so, Rick, you've... Uh... You've, uh, I don't know how recent, but you've made more of a transition into agriculture and especially the need to, to uh, teach children. Can you tell us a little bit why you're going in that direction? Well, uh, children, in my humble opinion, are our single most important natural resource. And when I was in grade school and came into the United States, uh, third grade, the first thing they required in third grade was uh, second grade, excuse me, second grade was Latin. Sum estest, sumus estes sunt. And uh, that's my memory. I, you know, I'm blessed. And I didn't even read English until fourth grade. Fifth grade, I read every single science fiction novel that had a little atom on it. And sixth grade, <laughs> I was a monster. What are you doing? They wanted to advance me oh, first. Uh, third grade, Ricky is very disruptive. He asked too many questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, they made me captain of the patrol, and I couldn't read English. But uh, I was captain. 
got to go to Playland, you know, as the reward you get free rides and all that kind of shit. Yeah, that was a long time ago. At fourth grade, Mrs. Reed, that's an interesting name, realized that I couldn't read and kept me after school every night teaching me how to read. I'm very blessed to have had that person do that for me. And uh, fifth grade, there he is, Maid Marion. Lady Librarian, man, that was your huckleberry. I want anything with an atom on it. I was reading it, sci-fi. And they wanted to give me lithium. Oh, he's kind of hyper. I'm not hyper. I'm just drawn that way. Oh, <laughs> that's who framed Roger Rabbit when she says, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, it's good you're smiling that's you're getting the the part that's important here that it's fun you're, you're supposed to have some fun with this and as you open doors and i have no idea which ones you're gonna oh what the hell is that dying what is that live from new york <laughs> i love it man i just that's my bucket list and i'm gonna say it loud and wide because at some point you know it's got to lighten up here. It's just, yeah, I mean, this is crazy out here. And <laughs> you don't know whom to trust or believe. Uh, even alternative media's got their own agendas. And uh, I don't know, but what Soros needs to be tried for war crimes against humanity. That's my last statement in politics. He's the one running Wuhan. And he's already stated publicly there has to be a body count for the new world order to work. Yeah. What they're going to do is probably release a second virus in late October, at the end of this month, or the first of next month, catching, as a metaphor, bunches of Sturgis bikers with their masks down. Because what's happening in other countries is different than what's happening here. That means there's more than one virus. And if it were really that bad where are the dispensaries for your used masks and gloves well if it was really that bad why aren't we seeing massive uh, illness in all the homeless camps that are all over the country now well homeless, it's, it's pretty smart lab. pretty smart virus to uh, avoid the homeless <laughs> but and that's will be transmitting it in places like seattle where new york is already dead it's uh done with intent and fear is the first enemy of man. But in my universe, control is a fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, good uh, luck. I would well, say I mean, it's, that's it's, what I know. Yeah. It's a mind virus, you know. Um, it, you, yeah, you, that's uh, the, what was that? Uh, what was that? Uh, Virus of the Minds, remember that? Mm -hmm. That group that came out with secret weapons for silent wars and oh, were writing yeah. for feral press and secret and suppress, yeah. Right. Michael James Reconosuccio is one of my best friends before they stuck him in Leavenworth. And uh, ding, 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 ding. Black, blue, and red boxes. And uh, Captain Crunch. And uh, that's how old I am. I've been there and done that, and that's what I did for the military. I did code. I was one of their cooks. So on the military side, I was going to ask earlier with the uh, educational institutions, yeah. um, how- yeah, Just a second, Apple Incorporated. Imagine that. <laughs> they would call right now. Oh yeah. 
It's okay. This is what we call red flag <laughs> And uh, I, I'm just going to, it's uh, that's it. And you'll notice it says Apple. You can't say it. Yeah, it's Apple Incorporated. And you can't because of the bandwidth on the screens. Um, I was just gonna. Are, I was just gonna ask Rick. Um, you know, going back all the way to the beginning of this talk at Washington and uh, University with uh, the nuclear stuff, and uh, how how in, in embedded is uh, in the intelligence community and like deep dark projects, secret space program, et cetera, in the actual academic institutions that you're involved in. Well, you did a big thing, and there are little tiny cells that have no accountability inside the Pentagon, for example. I've watched floors trade ordinance with agendas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anything, you, you know, designated survivor comes to mind. You don't know who your enemy is. And I remember so, a time when the Republicans and the Democrats wanted the same thing for America. They just wanted to do it differently. What is going on here with Black Matters versus Trump? What? Does that mean that Trump's a bigot? Uh, Ku Klux Klan? I didn't vote for Trump. I voted against Clinton. I will probably, unfortunately, have to vote against Biden. Uh, you know, it isn't I prove Trump. Nothing has been right in politics since Harry Truman. Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> well, ha, ha, ha. That's supposed to be our most morally correct and most scholarly representing America, right? Well, I don't What's know about going that. What's going on? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we, we suppose they, class, you know, better because it's not going to get any better. And they're encroaching in every single category from, you know, anytime a computer has updates, that's a hacker's note for backdoor. And backdoor Sally, <laughs> I remember when we did Engel, COBOL, not COBOL 3, you know, CCC plus. I'm talking about mm -hmm. the early days when code Unix was unhackable by definition. It wasn't pretty good privacy and it wasn't proton mail and it wasn't encryption. It was, you can't get there from here kind of thing. Closed systems. teleportation lasers are how they're doing it now. That's Lockheed. Or you can drop a piece of information right there. And the only people who can get that is if they had that right there, no, uh, the address. And good luck with that dealing in a micro band level, you know. So there's a teleportation laser. And then, of course, Carnegie Mellon then designed a trigger mechanism and we took building seven and we turned it into a test for a neutron fullerene fusion bomb. And uh, that's, I, I can tell you how, you know, slag concrete and steel with jet engine fuel get a grip. Uh, that's a plasma of which I happen to be a world authority on. And so you can't get a kidder. And all of these kinds of things I don't bother with anymore because if you have encryption, it's all military and they're, walk through your house like, you know, every day, what do I got right here? Just in my top drawer, no, second drawer down. I start with what, uh, just a little tri-field meter and then from there I have a bug detector that I can, uh, you know, uh, check it out and see if there's something there. And I can tell you, 
I've had to put in time domain reflectometry where I'll send a ping down the line. Oh, he's down at uh, 1,712 feet, tapped in. That's how you do that, by the way. Uh, and yet, I have no privacy. I found two bugs in my bedroom. They were dead. Who would be interested in what I do in my bedroom? Mm -hmm. Eat me. Yeah, we live in a post-private well, world now. I'm I'm nothing. I am a nerd. I'm not a spook. I, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I make mistakes. And it's as if that red flag part that that there that that's algorithms. When they start spending more money than you're losing to keep you down, <clears throat> that concerns me. That's a person of interest. That's not anything about red flag and computer algorithms anymore. And the way you stay invisible to an AI is I can write, is when you go from a place of wounding in your behavior to a place of purpose where you're not in conflict with anything. That's what I'm trying to do is find that flow in the road so that even Putin has sent me a handler because I'm an asset. Um, I know that I don't know. I'm trying to do the right thing. I believe in natural and civil law. It was Benjamin Franklin that said that if you give up some of your rights for safety, you lose both. And so with that sense of balance, how did Yoda put it? My gun you may have after I give you my bullets, I will. <laughs> and I just, I, uh, that's the only thing that has made America continue at this point. And they're trying to do that away as well, you know, by blindsiding you this way. Oh, children, look over here. Uh, I said, oh, children over here. And hopefully you'll get whiplash, take yourself out. That's how it's called. Fear is the first enemy. Um, but what you have to do is know yourself. And when you do, that's where the real answers lie. And it isn't necessarily the way I think of things. Um, that's what made us God's favor is the diversity of uniquenesses. And you don't take a government like the American government and you just throw it out with a baby with a bathwater. America, as far as I understand it, is not finest government in world history. And while there's a lot of problems with it, you don't throw it away like a Nissan car, you rebuild it like a Datsun. <laughs> you know, it's a metaphor. Yeah. And there's a difference in the way you look at things. And for me, um, even with all the errors that we have in how to be birthday is the risen, it's just, the problem, problem is that it's not right to take someone else's rights away from them. That's Libre Oz. L-I-B-E-R-O-Z is two words. And what language do you want it in? It's translated in every single language, Libre Oz. And uh, that's a statement of your rights to kill someone else, protect your family, whatever. And uh, I'm 
I don't want to have to be like that. I'm 76. If they want to bribe me, I'd be happy to take the bribe and live a very quiet, simple life on top of a mountain in agriculture. Um, you asked me about agriculture. How I got into agriculture was when I left the military in 1981, I moved to the country and became a farmer trying to do it up in the Okanagans. And I had a big field of catnip down on the Meadow River. And I had this outdoor catnip allowed indoors. During the winters, when it'd be 20 below, I had a porch. I put a light bulb in and a little thing so the cat could stay warm. And he had this little path worn all the way down into this catnip field. And every day, he'd come back up and leave a couple of gizzards from some rodent or something he killed just telling me how much he loved me for the catnip. <laughs> um, what happened? is that Henry Barth, the fifth richest man in the world, flew all the way out from Nuremberg when he heard I leaving the military, hired me to run 28 farms in four states um, with deep pockets, figure out how to grow all these different things from pyrethrum to lemon balm to do-to-do, da-da-da-da. And that led to a nine-volume encyclopedia on alternative agriculture and two, uh, 360 PDFs on how to grow specific crops, two of which are just on the ethics of marketing. You have choices in the way you wanna sell your products. And about four and a half years, five years ago, the city of Chattanooga hired me and Matt to come back in, do a bunch of workshops on sustainable lifeboats. And three weeks into that, with several workshops, doing dinner parties with uppity-ups and all that. I walked away and Chattanooga today does 40% of the food they consume in that city. Every single restaurant on the Chattanooga River has a greenhouse. The center of town, which was a 200-year-old acre farm, uh, is now a farmer's market run daily with a stock exchange on surpluses that week. Now that's Chattanooga in a decentralization place where even you, I'm guessing, are using more, less than maybe 4% maybe of the food you're growing. You know, you have to go into wherever to get other things. What we need to do is decentralize. And from that point of view, Matt Stein and I have started, like I do always start new projects, like I get Mariner, whatever. Um, is to form a sustainable lifeboat. This is a lifeboat with oars. And agriculture, when I was in Chattanooga, I watched these children, they were growing wildflowers. They love the colors and all of that. And they're growing these wildflowers and feeding the homeless. And the empowerment that that child felt inside for being able to do something an adult couldn't, taking care of an adult on the street and go up and give it food, uh, you have no idea. And when they started sending our children home early to this crap virus BS, what are the children learning? I remember I said I'd learned a lot in, in second grade, and they don't even teach home economics or shop anymore, like mechanical drawing, some of the other things. What exactly are they becoming? They, they don't even teach writing anymore. I understand that. Yeah, cursive. That is, you know, going from right to left brain is how you take something from 
short-term to long-term memory. And uh, it's a different storage system. And uh, consider it your cloud with its own grid. And uh, <laughs> Texas, because when our grid goes down, your cloud's gone and something just walked in the room. Oh, it's a dog. You have a little dog. Ah, made you look a dirty crooked soldier. Ah, gee. There it is. Cool. Dogs are closer to spirit. They are. Um, that's why you love them. They're not. They're closer to spirit. You've forgotten how to. Not that little. <laughs> My girlfriend would be envious. I thought I was going to lose her when her dog had to be put down. Animals are very, have a very special, there's a Simak, this is from my early childhood, huh? Simak wrote a, uh, a sci-fi novel called City, where a man leaves Earth, gives it to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what the dogs do and what they become in their cultural thing. It's very interesting, Simak. Yeah, yeah I uh, I go anywhere I want to with it. Bear, Bear has an interesting, uh, we were talking about pets uh, last week, and uh, I love your take, Bear, on what pets are and uh, kind of our spiritual animals. They are closer to spirit. They think with the gut. They work from instinct. Uh, yes, that's why they're so endearing to us, because we envy wishing we could be more like that ourselves. Uh, we've forgotten that because when you have the upper brain kicking in, uh, this one gives you options. Okay, and this way I go, I don't get shot. This way I might get shot. Well, if it's in your mind's eye, you can count on it. And uh, that's why the first theorem I'm going to give man in magic is that man has a responsibility for the thoughts he chooses to entertain. And that your goal today from now on is to start training your mind. Like all your saints in history have stressed that importance. Whether you do it with meditation, which is a classic way, or brain drivers, shortcuts to Rome, whatever, you need a reference point or a North Star. That could be your religion, your belief systems. Just realize that belief systems are not real. They're arbitrary and what you aspire toward. They're not who you are, but what you do. Mm -hmm who you are batman you gotta and that's that. ex <laughs> that's exactly the exactly the opposite of how we train our kids now so i'm hoping one blessing that might come out of this uh, fake covid thing is that people start taking their kids out of school so that we can start in training them in ways that you're suggesting you know because the way that's a process because where that's going to go I, I don't know let me tell you this when i came out of grad school I lived in the U district after my wife and I separated and uh, we still, I'm very, I still love that woman. Uh, your inner feminine changes that love comes and goes. Friendships are the highest form of love there is. And um, I was living with Mike Mandeville, who's doing his doctoral thesis at that time on the experimental college, which later came at the University of Washington later became continuing education in all the universities around the country. And then when Dixie Lee Ray retired from the Atomic Energy Commission, she implemented the first experimental college, which was Evergreen in Olympia. And I was first faculty. And so when I started teaching children, I had that model in mind. 
you know, here I am 50 years later from first faculty at Evergreen. And I realized when I got stopped at every office because somebody did not want me to do this. What happened next is I had an epiphany and realized it isn't Cloud Atlas that I'm aspiring toward, but what is it the child wants to know? Because they're way smarter than I am. And while I have a tremendous amount of knowledge, I know what I can't do. A child doesn't know that. And that's where innovation occurs. And they start off with the sandbox. That's why I did aquaculture. Teaching them how to grow their own food because once they have their own food, uh, this crap isn't gonna bother them as a generation. And they're gonna be the ones that push the Gen Xs around when their teeth are falling out. And so you want to have some solid foundations there. That will be workbook three. Workbook four is going to be a mobile, mobile water testing laboratory run by third graders. And Michael Moore is gonna help me take that across the country as a movie where every place we stop it's cloned, leaving a similar bus run by third graders in that small community teaching the first graders how to test turbidity and cleaning water as a mobile water testing laboratory. Workbook five is already out, by the way. That's stress management. <laughs> well, you see what I've got planned for the rest of it, too. The magical and ritual use of metaphor is about ready to go out. That's my book on tarot and 22 chapters. And then I have 12 books called the Holistic Kabbalah, which is on pathworking. I wrote those in the 80s in my work with OTL. And I am trying to integrate all of this into a format that younger kids can take and take their own footprint. That's when they said one small step for man, one great giant step for mankind. The idea is that I'm, I have no idea how the educational thing on teaching children is going to evolve. It won't be Cloud Atlas. That's Hollywood. But, and I can't conceive of it, but I can take the first step toward that. And that's where we have an opportunity here. If there, you know, social distancing should have happened 10 years ago, personal space, you know, and grocery stores and things like that. And so everything happened for a reason and everything can lead to something better. And what we needed was educational reform. We have an opportunity. It isn't going to be computers and, uh, you know, keyboards and things like that. Um, now Elon Musk and others are talking about outside wetware that you can paint on and talk directly to a cloud. Um, you don't even need to go inside the body anymore. Although that's another thing that does exist because I was there when it was developed is a site selective molecule that you can drink and it'll go chink right into the right place. Hmm. So, you know, put it in the drinking water <laughs> and you got a singularity thing. That was something that I have seen. There was other experiments of man besides you know, the Nephilim and uh, Hopi, uh, the giant cannibals and so on. There was the Ant-Men down in Mexico that were hive consciousness. And uh, 
like the ant men that we have. How many ants are on your property right now? What do you think about that mine? Mm -hmm. I know I'm dealing with right now on my kitchen counter, to be honest. <laughs> it's about time you start noticing there's things going on around you that and you need to pay attention or you won't survive any more than the dinosaur. And while we are God's favored, what do you mean we, white man? <laughs> so Rick, because, uh, because of your body of work, I know in some circles, I believe they have dubbed you the postman. What do they mean by that? Well, I network these bunkers all across the country. You know, there's, I, I, I don't do them all. There's, there's things like Oppenheimer Ranch Project, but Arapaho, the big missile silo that uses the hydroponic or aquaponic system from uh, out of Texas. That guy's got kits that you can buy. Really cool. And uh, they use a bunch of those run by 12 families that feed over 4,000 people in a closed system. Inorganic salts. When I was working at Boeing, when I first came out of grad school, my first job was at BSRL, Boeing Scientific Research Laboratories. Uh, in South Park before it moved to Kent and became the Space Center. And Art Pilgrim, I dated his daughter, Vicki, Art was doing um, hydroponic systems from New Galilee Gardens. It was a thing that a good friend of mine that's now living in Roseburg ran and sold it to Boeing. And that became Lunar Base Alpha One. It was a closed system. And what we discovered, here's a really important secret. One third chicken manure, one-third rabbit manure, and one-third worm casings. Those three things give you all the inorganic salts necessary for a closed system. You have those three things. Chicken, the way we did it on Lunar Base Alpha 1 is we had grating on our floor, and the chickens were running around, and they were pooping down into the water below. And hydroponics is with fish. And we were using fallopia and chlorella algae and had a closed system generating the salts that we needed to grow our plants. Aquaculture is a slightly different system where it doesn't use fish. It actually uses uh, worms, rabbits, and manure, worm casings. And with that, does not need like what I did as when I first started the course, I was doing little, you know, plants. And uh, right now I've got it turned, taken down where we filmed it on the second floor here where it's next to my kitchen. My balcony is like a uh, oh, terrarium or something. I'd like to have an orange tree over there and a lemon tree over there and, you know, some rubber trees. Whoops, there goes another rubber. And, uh, and then have next to your kitchen because that's, uh, I, I interviewed Bill Mollison when he first started permaculture and then they did a big series of talks down at Evergreen. And uh, that's where I interviewed him and uh, a guy that did uh, the One Straw Revolution, did both of those for Acres USA. And Bill Mollison, the only reason permaculture fragmented into Step Holzer and the doo-doo-doo and da-da-da-da was that Bill did the one no-no that professors should not do, and that was to spend time with our students. You know, you don't. You know, you know, they're students, they're not there to be sex and so on. Bill, otherwise, his concepts were genius and uh, I still use them in my different lifeboats. The one I have up in Sandpoint, Idaho 
is a 58-year-old Quaker retreat that was built by uh, 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 Joe Weiss, who was the protege of Frank Lloyd Wright. And his unicorn farm, I used to teach up there for Lois, that had uh, a newsletter in herbology, and she'd bring me in to do herb classes back in the early, early 80s. Um, I got to know Conrad Richter, Richters of Canada. Conrad uh, became one of my best friends. And by the way, Conrad, um, when the Dalai Lama have a meltdown, that's who the Dalai Lama calls Conrad Richter. Can you imagine? Up in Goodwood. And uh, all I did all the business plans up in the northern part of Canada, you know, the Duke of Bor and the Mennonite. Uh, the Amish hired me. They took one of their bishops and actually did outreach to me by excommunicating him so he could talk to me, brought me into Carlisle, and I did both of their business plans. The one that you might be most familiar with is taking um, uh, Purslane off the Fort McDowell River in Arizona because Purslane is not a little ground cover. It's a big legion going with a machine, and it's omega-3 acids, and they fed that to all their lair hands in Lancaster, and I had them playing Mozart music, and now, even today, 30 years later, they're marketing a low cholesterol egg along the eastern seaboard because the chickens are less stressed out. <laughs> That's what I did in agriculture, that kind of stuff. You know, trying to make innovations. I did, um, Ford McDowell was turning all their cotton fields into, uh, you know, flood. And so they have all this purslane growing. Purslane is worth way more money than and that's omega nutrition up in Canada now. That started out as golden bow herbs. That was a, a golden dawn-like cult up on Vancouver Island before it became Lifestream and the primary distributors in Canada. And their teacher up there was uh, Kerpul Singh. I was initiated to Sharon, but you know. Hey, so hey Rick. Rick uh Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to ask if he could explain the lifeboat thing you mentioned, because I know that's important. Sustainable lifeboat is a lifeboat with oars. <laughs> that means that you can go somewhere with it. You're not stuck in the middle of the Atlantic like uh, uh, the post had. I um, am the guy that networks and brings the information from one bunker to another, and I have them all through North America, almost every state. I don't do all of them yet. I'm trying to do things like with Oppenheimer Ranch Project. That's its own lifeboat thing. There's Gaia, there's a down in Florida. There's over in, uh, when I was, uh, I did radio with Dennis Kucinich. At that time, he called himself president of the Midwest. And Mike Hagan was the interviewer that he was doing. And we were drinking absence. If I was gonna do an interview with him, it's three hour. And we were drinking absence and getting pretty well out there. And he had his driver drive me in four states to eight bunkers, one of which was in Wichita, Arlo Guthrie. And his daughter and granddaughter came out and sang to us. And that is what a sustainable lifeboat is about. It is Americana that pays attention to habitat and gender. That means Everywhere is different, like Warehouser. You know, if you're here, the building should be like this. And if you're there, you may not have a building. Like Unicorn Farm up in Sandpoint 
is six feet of garden on top is his roof. And he's right there on the Pack River and the bass fishing at Lake Ponderé is just incredible. Uh, but uh, everything is different in each place. And I have them all through Canada as well, all the way up into Chickaloon with Nick Begich. Chick, uh, Chickaloon is an Indian reservation that was part of the town in Oz. Uh, I remember meeting the chief and he had me that joint. <laughs> that was the chief of the town in Oz. And they own the pipeline. That's why Nick's father was assassinated, was that he gave that to uh, the Indians. And uh, up in Chickaloon, Nick has a copper mine with underground caves that I could set up as a bunker thing because copper is extremely important mineral in terms of a metal that you can use for anything electronic, you know, anything. Anything has copper in it. And so there it is. Everything uses copper. So, Rick, uh, so as you know, we're uh, creating a, a well underway with the medicinal herb farm here and also using it as a prototype for agricultural decentralization. So what do you think the most important herbal crops to grow are now? I know we've already touched on hemp a bit. Well, you're going to need a strong fiber. So hemp's right out of the gate for rope, sailcloth clothing, you want something that's really strong, that's going to be hemp. Um, greens, uh, Ann Wigmore. Um, Ibogaine, that's one I recommend to the children. Ibogaine stops all forms of addiction with one single use. How does it work? <laughs> it's pretty intense though. Well, yeah, it's near death. That's why it has to be administered in medical situations because you've got a nurse there when your life support systems go sideways. Um, it's a near-death experience. And at the end of it, I remember lots of and some others that had been doing studies on that one. You guys sitting back, he took it. He was a 16-year IV user off of Amsterdam Park, been using heroin for 16 years, only 30 hours. There's no come downs. There's no addiction, lags, and, you know, terrible things. He's just sitting there trying to describe the what he experienced to uh, a debriefer and he lights up his cigarette and uh, he doesn't smoke anymore either what it does is it rewrites uh, habit patterns in using pgo waves in the occipital region of the cerebral cortex and so that's why you monitor the way patterns move through the brain because that's where addictive behavior is set uh, and it takes, according to Crowley, in terms of being a new word here, we're going to call mindfulness. That's a nice word, uh, old new word that is in the medical. Um, it takes three months or three periods of the moon to change a habit. That means for the first three months, if you want to lose weight, you got to put signs around notifying yourself to wake up because you're going to purposely, oh, just, just this once. Um, and mindfulness is that you don't do it, period, just like fasting. And fasting isn't any good until you get to the fourth and fifth day because it takes three days before you start working on the garbage in your gut, the calcium stuff. And uh, that's why things like cash green 
cascara trees. Every habitat, and I've broken it in my native plants book as six habitats, but they're, you know, Arctic and tropical, um, has chemical analogs, golden seal, that would be on the East Coast as Oregon grapefruit. It's a little higher in berberine, which is a precursor to hydrostane, but, you know, is a, is a, and so with children, what do you grow first, kids? And, you know, they're thinking of foods like broccoli and celery and potatoes and things like that. And all of those things are important, but the first thing you grow is your herbal pharmacy because Walgren and uh, Rite Aid are not going to have what you want shortly when China closes down. Back in the 90s, I used to grow feverfew for the smooth muscle that creates a migraine and so on. And uh, that went as we bailed it, shipped it to China, and they tableted it and encapsulated it, sent it back as Centrum and one other brand that sold in, in Costco. And uh, that's crazy that it was cheaper to have it tabulated and encapsulated in China and two routes of transport, you know, Teamsters, Mafia, going to and from China in fuel than just having a local pharmacist tab tabulate or encapsulate it. How's that work? That was in the 90s. We have a serious problem. And in terms of storable, and non-storable commodities and the way you want to look at it. And your non-storable commodities are the things you can't keep each year. You have to regrow it each year. Okay, and uh, that's a non-storable commodity. You don't have inventory. And with that comes what we call marketers to stop the surpluses and shortages aspect, which is where Hamburg comes in and takes over. Now, that's if you if you have market orders, so you only produce the amount that's going to get sold that year. So it's a flush market. Then your market is stable. But you have a shortages, surpluses. Uh, now it's a different kind of commodity. And now what the market will bear, not fair wage market price, that kind of thing. And so there's different ways things are sold. And originally, when Sears and Roebuck and Craftsman were working, it used to be best buy over cheapest. Now you have a sort, you have only a choice of which place you get your cheapest. You don't have best buy anymore. You might with tool and die once in a while, but Harbor Freight pretty well ran that steamroller over just like Walmart and Amazon are going to fight over food shortly. And uh, I, I see the trends that are happening. And uh, you'd be crispy out there. It's best to teach your children how to grow their own food so they independent of that control system. And water is next. In fact, there are seven elements, including your go bag. <laughs> you know, you can grab. You ought to see what I have for my go bag. I have skins. I have no clothing. I have skins that I wear and my go bag pain inside my go bag is a needle bone whistle. <laughs> <laughs> so what crops do you grow? Well, what's wrong with you? You know, blood thinner, that's a cloitinase from mus mushrooms. 
not warfarin, get a grip, man. <laughs> I, when I had surgery, I have titanium in every limb in my body. None of this arm isn't even real, it has no bone in it. And uh, I can't pick my nose as good as I can with this one. And so uh, I make a lot of noise when I walk through a room. I got titanium in every limb. Got things like it. Um, they're going to give me warfarin. I'm not doing that. And so my doctor is a big time, pretty good size doctor. What do you want to do? And I said, I'm doing quite nice. And uh, what is that? Well, it's natinase, which is an enzyme. Slightly different in the way it works in actions, just like naproxen works differently than aspirin. You've got aspirin leaf and aspirin bark, which is acetylsalicylic acid. And what the natural sources offer are unrelated chemistries that in fact act as buffers and whatever. And why I have now in my herbal pharmacy concepts talk in terms of a full spectrum to be distinguished from targeted chemistries or standardized extract, which is Nazi, uh, German, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's just, what you can do, you don't need to massive dose yourself with a big club hammer. When you work with natural sources, different blood types, and you're sensitive to, you know, all as opposed to ABA for enzyme breaking, you can find the plants right here, just on my yard. I have six psychedelic mushrooms that grow every year here. I have chaga, that's a pharmaceutical. I have turkey tail, I've got uh, uh, oysters, I've got, uh, those are gourmet. All three mushroom groups do different things. Your psychedelics are mostly toxins to jumpstart your brain's own production of a similar but different lookalike neurotransmitter. And that is how you evolve. You start your own brain production like I did with LSD in 1964, and you evolve into the current monster I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> and uh, when you did LSD, did you have any interactions with aliens or any entities? <laughs> it's 64, not 94. Um, <laughs> 30 years <laughs> earlier. Um, I was up at Deception Pass Hurricane Ridge, looking 2,000 feet down in the water in Puget Sound, and it's boiling back colors. And Larry leaned over and he said, wouldn't it be neat to jump? Jesus. You notice the nervous laugh that you gave? That is the doors of perception. And when they started slamming shut in my mind, oh, I don't want to go here. I don't want to think that. Oh, I discovered that moment very moment inner space was far more vast than outer space mm -hmm. and that's why all of my work since that moment on has been around altered states of consciousness as tools in a toolbox and was the first of a bunch of serious protocols to make superman out of normal gis we didn't need to do artificial intelligence we already have those abilities and it's just paying attention. And that's what opened my eyes is that single moment. Since then, I remember taking orange sunshine. I remember when that was a Seattle pop festival and waking up the next morning to one of the I kept. 
That was an interesting period of time. Yeah, that's when Ike Turner was still with Tina. And Jim Morrison was hanging his dick out over the audience and urinating. And a uh, lot of different water under a lot of different bridges. And I was there when Janis Joplin came out. I was there in Monterey, wow. 1967, when the birds played eight miles high. <gasps> and out walked Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> oh, man. I love that and Nobody's seen anything like that before, wow. man. <laughs> that's amazing. I would do anything to go back in time to go to the Monterey Pop Festival at that time. That, that was, was 67. Just, yeah. And the birds, you know, were doing their eight miles high. You know, you're going, and then out walked Jimi Hendrix. And he, he, he lit the guitar on fire, right, or something, or on the stage. Yeah. A lot of things happened back then. Sky Rivers, there were three Sky Rivers. The third one was up at, uh, what was it called? The Mount, uh, Strawberry Mountain, up in Canada, BC. Mm -hmm. And she got off the train and was pouring down her head and the mud. <laughs> and what I had, I had a friend that was driving with me and he had a brand new Cadillac with windows and air conditioning. Everybody's building these big fires to try to stay warm, pouring down mud and everybody's messy. He's laid back in his Cadillac, looking around, you know, with Janis Joplin. Oh Lord, won't you buy me? <laughs> Mercedes Benz. <laughs> I saw I saw Janis Joplin in a Tahoe old bowling alley in about oh 1966. Nobody had ever heard of her and we wow. Uh, heard some music and I walked in there with a buddy and she was playing and then the birds first time I ever saw them was uh, I think it was 69 a, a buddy of mine on the team we uh, from Pullman actually hitchhiked across the border at Sandpoint a few days later we ended up in Calgary and then just uh, got taken in as some friends you know you, you know what yeah. it was like back then ended up at a birds concert and uh, heard all that you're describing here. So yeah, yeah it was Strawberry a very special Mountain. Uh, it was that, that was it, Strawberry yeah. Mountain, that, that third cold yeah. uh, 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 Sky River. There was one down in Tanino yeah. and the other one over in uh, Rishogal. And I've been there, done that. <laughs> Washington State. Pullman yeah, we Washington. saw them all back then. Huh? We grew up in uh, we grew up in Marin County, and oh, Marin County oh. was rural back then. Uh, but all the bands, you know, all, all migrated into the country in Marin County from San Francisco. So they you were ever all there. Mason so, Williams yeah. or Steve Miller. Steve Miller was my oh cousin. Steve I Miller, yeah. yeah. I drummed for him until I went yeah. to college, and then he got a real drummer. It's really, you know, that was uh, Cheeseburgers, wow. USSA. There it is. We had a uh, we had a garage band in seventh grade, and our drummer's name was uh, Terry Bozio. I don't know if you ever heard him, but he yeah. later became the drummer for Frank Zappa. So, hey, you had a uh, story about uh, Jim Morrison and the Hopi. Where, where how does well, that one work? The military realized that there are the human beings. There's another bunch of different non-humans that live with humans. Uh, mm -hmm. You're probably familiar with Sasquatch or Bigfoot. What is that? And the mm -hmm. Nephilim in the Bible, uh, you know, there's the different kinds of entities that have been with me. Well, one of the entities would be like the Dalai Lama that has genetic memory of previous and future lives. That isn't the hat I wore, it was that one. How does that work? Well, 
in my study, and you can read about this in a book called Secret and Suppress. Tom Lytle, L-Y-T-T-L-A, wrote the story about Jim Morrison not dying in Paris, but was smuggled out by the Swedish Secret Service, and now is living today in, um, he's my age, a little older. I didn't, when I was doing my study, he was working for a laser company, and I didn't believe it. You know, that's horseshit. And part of my thing is to vet these things out, you know, run it due diligence. And uh, I had this letterhead coming to me with CIA letterhead with Jim Morrison's signature on it. And when I went to Florida, I mean to uh, uh, Louisiana, there he was, a fat Jim Morrison working for a laser company. How does that work? What? What? You can read about it in Secret and Suppressed. Now, uh, I'm going going to give you the other start of it. How does that work? Well, this man here was the Hopi Indian before Thomas Banaka that died on the crossroads. That's Grandfather Joseph, Montagra. And he died. These are feathers and things I got in sweat uh, doing the studies with Thomas Banaka and others in the Hopi trying to understand what Grandfather Joseph was. He was an entity that when he dies, passes his consciousness on to someone else, and they have a double consciousness, a right, a tagalong. That entity uh, has made movies with, um, Denzel Washington did one, about an entity, it's like a demon that hooks on. These kinds of things exist, the military wanted to know about it, that's the kind of shit I did. They would send me in, um, I came into Grand Pass, Oregon before I lived here, and met a shapeshifter that was about 400 years old. Uh, it was. It appeared as a coyote, approximately uh, 40 feet away from me, and looked at me because I had my camera going and everything, and charged me. It came right straight at me, and just before it encountered me, it changed into a of smoke. And I have that on film that I gave for the military between my legs. Um, these kinds of things have root. The so-called werewolf running around Wolf Creek right now is probably a tweaker blown out of his mind. But these kinds of things exist, and I have no explanation for it other than, you know, I don't know what a lycanthropy and vampires and all of that, but when Hollywood creates these images, of possibilities, you know, in your imagination. Hollywood, if she could, they become real. Just like Charles Manson. I'm doing a new screenplay right now for a friend of mine who wrote this book. This one is gonna be an interesting book called uh, Once Upon a Time in San Quentin. And uh, it's on the need for prison reform. This is from a second generation guard that ran Hightower, that when he cocked his rifle, 30-30, everything changed in the yard. And what we're gonna do is a whole series of different vignettes on how the laws are different in a prison than they are out of a prison, like code of silence. So you have an understanding where some of these terms came from. 
and is the distinctional need now, like educational reform, we need prison reform because a prison is not a penitentiary. A penitentiary is something the Quaker developed to rehabilitate a person back into society. A prison is about money. Uh, real quick, back to Jim Morrison, because um, my you friend- You love that part, okay. My friend, well, my friend Emily is actually the heir to his estate. She's the niece of, uh, of you know, the, of his longtime uh, partner that's played by Meg Ryan in the Oliver Stone movie. Uh, so I go to their house in Palm Springs and they've got the platinum records up and everything. Yeah, so yeah. I think, um, man- I have one of those downstairs that's autographed from Jim Morrison. Oh, that's amazing. So I just wanted to make that connection again with the Hopi and everything. So I know Jim was- Well, really so scared. Jim Morrison won't die until he has a natural death. And what will happen is that ride along part will transfer over to another person. So Jim Morrison was 10 years old when that happened. He so is he that's what led to the famous Crossroads study. Mm -hmm. And that's all written up in a storyboard of called Secret and Suppressed uh, by Feral Press. Well, we know the whole the whole house right up on in the Hollywood where supposedly Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, they were all trained by the intelligence. To, uh, do you know about that? I don't know anything about that part. I you know, I okay. don't know that. I can tell you that Menesteric Goat was 10 years after May and the wrong goat died. That's the distinction between Navy intelligence and Army intelligence, page two. The general couldn't run through a wall because he had the wrong mental state. Get a grip. Um, so Jim Morrison's, Jim Morrison's dad was uh, pretty high ranking in the military, wasn't he? Same with Jimi Hendrix, Frank Zappa, I don't know anything about that. And why do they all die at 27? Yeah, what I, what, <laughs> I, what I am now, I'm a GS-18, which means I have, I'm captain and commander. I don't report to anybody above me anymore. Any president, I, I have autonomy. Run my own ship. Yeah. So That's what, what so back to the agriculture stuff and the and learning and, and everything you're working on, is that your main project right now that you're focusing on besides the- No, I'm gonna teach a new course on magic 101. I'm going to teach it as a field of study for advanced physics. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna talk about what it is. It is not from my understanding point of view. I was, I have been, I started with the uh, Church of All Worlds with uh, 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 Tim and Morning Glory and started writing for Green Egg in 1969. I uh, then graduated into the Coven Camelot, Star of the North, where I was working with Sandra and Carl Wachowski, Llewellyn. And then I went, met Phyllis Seckler. She saw me doing Tai Chi down on Alki Beach, freaked out, thought I'm gonna be the new caliphate for after her husband dies, I'm in his beta. And I studied with Phyllis Seckler, uh, Mildred Burlingame and Helen Parsons Smith for a number of years, helped write the College of Thelema and in the continuum of my articles in there of dealing with, you know, how to get in touch with your holy guardian angel, that kind of thing. And what I'm gonna do, take all of that and bring it into the 22nd century as a system of physics. And it's not the whole picture, it's just one half of two brains, uh, but it's a protocols and try to move it from the where Alice Crowley took it from charismatic magic 
and sickles, you know, into an art form. Magic is the art of changing consciousness at will. And everybody does it differently, just like stippling and, and crosshatching with pen. One artist is completely different than another, even though they're doing the same medium. And um, what I'm going to do is show you how I do it, and then allow you to integrate that into your own program, and maybe, knock on wood, take it to the next step if the Gen X is something that I can't even comprehend. That's what my intent is now. And so Magic 101 just posted on my site, and I've started getting registrations for that course in the late fall. My aquaculture thing, I have over 250 people registered for that course, and they've stayed with me even though I haven't done the third class since May. They trust me because I'm going to make sure they get way more than their money's investment because that's what I do. It's not about money. It's about trust and taking something that I understand, making it yours. Yeah. You can do something more with yourself with it. That's what I'm about. Beautiful. Not a big deal. But and I've it, been doing experimental college for a long time. I was in first faculty. When I taught shamanism, I used John Curtis Gowan. And I went to study with Marcia Eliade in Chicago. So, I mean, you know, I tried to best I could in teachers to then move it to the next level. And a teacher can only take you as far as they themselves have gone. And I was offered a pessimist. I turned it down. Yeah. There are three ways of being in this world. There's the vulgar. This is Moda. The vulgar, or my father. <laughs> the vulgar, the adept, and the exempt. The vulgar get audited. The adept gets money back from the government, and the exempt has a 501c3. They don't pay taxes. <laughs> I was an athlete, but I didn't have to do cheerleader. <laughs> exempt. Um, I, I, do, <laughs> I do have a question from the, the audience here. They've, they've been really, uh, Grandmaster UV's brought up a few times. Um, just curious, your your experience on Antarctica, um, you, oh. you know, is there, were there Nazi bases, uh, secret space program influence? Um, we can maybe, this might be a fun way to end the talk I don't know here. much <laughs> about the secret space program. Carol Rosen lives down the street here in Medford. And uh, she and her husband, John Pfeiffer, have been to my home for dinner. They're really neat people. I like Carol. Um, she was a secretary under Von Braun. I've had secretaries work under me. I wonder what they're going to talk about in my secret, you know, uh, drug <laughs> program. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I used to make my own stuff. I'll send you a recipe how to make dimethyltryptamine from crab legs. You know, that's easy. What you want to do is with your mind's eye because you don't need to do the drug. It's already there. What you're playing with is your own neurotransmitters. You take lysergic acid diethylamide, that drug is broken down and into the salt and in the urine within almost 20 minutes of ingestion. And the next 48 hours of response is your own brain chemistry, hallucinations. And so once you realize that, it's not about the drug. Ketamine, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. I have in workbook one, Chapter eight, 
Larry's neurologic circuit. Ketamine's the last one, and the very last paragraph. This is a study I did. Ketamine was that when John Moore, when Moore was doing his studies on ketamine, his wife Marcia Moore had written a book on astrology and was hanging out with Wayne Adel Wayne Aho and George Adamski up in Ireland in a UFO group, and they wanted to get some of the ketamine to encounter, have a close encounter. And what happened next, they called me in when they found her severed head in the Florida Everglades two hours before she was dead in Seattle. Now that's obviously, you know, a timetable thing, somebody got something wrong. And that's what I did is I went into that, you know, how they got the timetables wrong. No, ketamine has some strange properties to it. Oh yeah. I have, you know, it's a very popular drug in the, uh, the well, you got to be real scene. careful about it. They took and, massive doses. Yeah. And you go into a K-hole. While ketamine is used as a local anesthesia on children, intravenously, uh, it is it's dangerous. It's very psychedelic. And they're closed to clinics now that do ketamine injections and things like that because not enough is known about it. It's not. A hallucinogen, it's not a narcotic, it's not a stimulant or a depressant. What is it? It's a new class of drug that we don't even have the vocabulary on what it does yet. Yeah. Negadev and others have written on stick aliens, you know, two-dimensional aliens, not three-dimensional, yeah. And there's a thing with dimensional gates, and you've got to be very, very careful. It would be like doing laughing gas while you're doing uh, LSD. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't yeah, know we, we recommend uh, a sober, um, you know, psychedelic states through breath work, meditation. You can get all, like you were saying earlier, you know, through through light and sound. And well, they, yeah, um, the primary one now, the okay, the three books I wrote on that are called The Diamond Body, Electromagic, and Yogatronics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the Yogatronics uses German acupuncture, where I talk to certain specific neurotransmitters using a wire and pulses. And if you want, I had a good friend uh, write Little Heroes, Norman Spinrad, wrote a sci-fi story around my work where they used the wire to go to raves and other kinds of places where you could just simply dial in the sex you want to wear today, whether you're male, female, whatever, just variations in Potentials. Um, what I did in electromagic and yogatronics is I broke code and can talk to a certain specific neurotransmitter, and that neurotransmitter can talk to three others, which means I had a gate or a door in. And once I had a door in, I could walk around and talk to different neurotransmitters, and now I can do things that you have no idea. Basically, your own uh, neuropharmacopoeia stargate. <laughs> yeah, more like Saturday Night Live. No! <laughs> oh, that was from Friday. First city out of Chicago. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, you know, uh, we could talk for for 15 hours and just continue just to go down all this amazing... Fun. What uh, I want to do is make you think. And once you start that process... Wonderful. Well, you know, and I uh, love to 
we'll have to get you out here on the farm and have you walk the land uh, like you and I were talking about. It'd be a lot oh, of fun. Oh, yeah, walk to have your you four out. corners. Yeah, that's yeah. an Indian term where you walk your four corners and get a size right. up. You know, the weeds growing on your property will tell you more about what your soils are than aerials. And I'll need your aerials when I walk your four corners. I, that'd be soil conservation service. I'll give them to you for a, I need those. Um, I like to say what resources. I met a woman last week. She gave me an old Craftsman lawnmower. Uh, very cool. It just needs a fuel line. But she lived at uh, 2,800 feet in Williams up uh, one of these dirt roads and hairpin curves. And you're not even sure you're on the right road. At the end of the gate, she opened it up. She's got a mansion up there. She's been there 30 years uh, with her, uh, I think she's like 68. And her boyfriend is uh, 40. <laughs> yeah, dirty old woman. But she's been chopping wood and carrying water for a long time. And that level of sovereignty it's like a 501c3. Once you know how to heat yourself and water yourself and food yourself, now that's what we should be teaching children and what they want to know. So herbal pharmacy is before you even start. And there's there are five different forms of medicine practiced in the world today, and each one has their list. You know, whether it's naturopathic medicine or homeopathic or it's allotropic or it's, uh, you know, acupuncture, they're all different. And uh, each one deals and approaching it with how you use the herb as a metaphor. And again, that's your relationship to your environment. And you become a cultivar, you know, uh, you, you adapt to the climate. That means, like Gurdjieff said, you should probably eat your environment. What if, if you live on the coast, you eat fish? Even though you want to be a vegetarian, you probably need that protein because of the way the light is on the coast, different than the Midwest. There's physics going on here that I don't understand yet. But again, what I do is I let the environment tell me what a lifeboat might suggest, you know, because each universe is different habitat. Habitat sensitive, you pay attention. So every lifeboat is different. Raggedy man. <laughs> we look forward to having you out here. It'd be a lot of fun. It'd be my pleasure to walk your four corners and get to understand that. I think the Smith River is a kind of a cool nook and cranny kind of place. And uh, there's what they're doing now just north of you is there a logging spot at all now. 57,000 acres on the Applegate. I can't believe it. They just, in one month, it was leveled. You know? It's horrendous. Unbelievable. Terrible. It's, uh, you know, if we had a holistic mindset about everything, we would be going through and thinning out the forests where they need to be done. There's plenty of timber in there and it would help the animals, it would help hunters, it would help uh, everything. Um, but it's instead, it's what you're fires. saying. Yeah, wildfires. What I did. <laughs> Jeez. What I did before I retired is up in the Lapine Sisters area, I harvested in one year 150 high boy truckloads of ponderosa pine cone, picking up the debris off the ground mm -hmm. and sold it to everything that's marketable in the forest. Everything, mossy, thick, 
the floral trade will buy that. And the pharmaceutical will want your Uznia, your, your old man's beard, or your uh, Icelandic moss. All of those things are used uh, in different pharmacies and, and habitats like the Mormons out of Utah will buy almost everything. And uh, Dr. Shuck was somebody that was a genius in herbology. And when they were gonna give it to uh, Jerry Barlow and they excommunicated him, he wrote a book called From the Shepherd's Purse. That's a must have on your library shelf. Jerry, Jerry Barlow, the, From the Shepherd's Purse. <coughs> Golden Seal, et cetera, was my precursor. I wrote Native Plants of Commercial Importance. Those give you the 10 primaries in your neighborhood that you can barter. You know, mm. should there be a grid down, no money situation, those would be the pharmacies that you have that are worthwhile, whether it be, you know, Salal used in every funeral in America to, you know, there's a lot of different lists. I have written in a number of areas because I'm more than an herbalist. I'm more than a physicist. I'm a strange attractor <laughs> for the military. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been uh, just so full of nuggets. <laughs> I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this a few times, probably you read the transcripts. Sometimes more on other subjects. The oh, man. 101 is going to be an eye opener for everybody. It's not about Crowley. I'm not a Crowleyite. And Crowley tattooed 666 on his forehead to outrage Victorian consciousness, just like, you know, that's what he did. Colin Wilson is a good read on the occult. He wrote the occult and has a whole chapter on the beast himself. He was not a pedophile. He was not a Satanist. He wasn't even a Christian. How could he be a Satanist? You know, Satanism is a form of Christianity and Satanism didn't even occur until the Church of Rome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're demons. But if you get into the old books on magic, you'll realize that the fallen angels were qualities in man deemed unworthy, like jealousy, rage, anger. Archetypes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a Greek concept. That's one way of looking at it. There are many different ways of looking at what a fallen angel is yeah. and or what an angel is. Yeah. You know. Wow. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the show, uh, considering you pretty much a neighbor to us. Uh, and uh, just down the I, street, yeah. I look forward to uh, visiting you hopefully one day as I like to go up there to Grand I School. run all the bunkers here up here from the military. I have, you know, the comm systems and like that. That's what I do. Wow. It would be amazing to tour a bunker, uh -huh. I'll tell you that. Bring your uh, camera. Yeah. And, uh, I'll bring my kids. If I, if I tell you any more. <laughs> well, hey, thanks again for joining us today. I hope, I hope everybody enjoyed this conversation. Definitely one for the books. Uh, it will go uh, premiere on YouTube at 5 p.m. today. And of course, it'll go out as a podcast. Um, and we just, lost, uh, we just lost Dr. Richard Miller. But uh, wow, what an amazing uh, uh, talk today, Bear. <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of questions that I had uh, that I didn't get to interject. but. Uh... Maybe we'll have him back. Well, I was I'd just saying it in chat, we just got to ride the waves of his consciousness and just kind of go with the flow there and let him just do his thing. And that man has had life experience and, and connections and really a very, he's a, he's a national treasure. I'll tell you that. So 
Um, yeah, I really appreciate the way his, his mind works, you know, because a lot of times people ask me questions about things or engage in, and, uh, you know, there's just so many tangents you could go off on. They aren't really tangents, but just when you have a little bit of experience and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, there, there's so many angles you can approach any one subject from. So I, uh, I watch his mind and I relate to it very much. Yeah. Yeah. Very multidimensional. That's for sure. Um, so everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you uh, enjoyed this content, please hit the, if you're watching this on YouTube or wherever you're at, please subscribe, follow, share this, uh, hit the notification bell on YouTube. So you get alerts for when we do uh, do our videos, which are every Thursday. So pretty easy to follow. And we, we are live streaming this right now too on dlive.forward slash alpha Vedic. So you can always join us on the chat 10, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, we will see you next week. Uh, we have Kelly Brogan coming on the show this month, which will be fantastic. Dr. Melissa Sell as well. Uh, and uh, we have uh, just, we just keep bringing the heat with all these amazing guests. So, uh, and then you have a friend coming on at the end of the month uh, from Byron Bay Bear that will oh, be. Marty Leeds. Well, we have Marty. Well, Marty Leeds, but Marty? Well, no, I'm talking about um, our friend in Australia. Uh, she's coming oh, on. Yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Isabel uh, Lucas. Oh, that'd be great because Isabel's, uh, you know, she's a mainstream actress and pretty well known around the globe, actually, but uh, she's taken some heat lately because she's speaking out, uh, heaven forbid. Yeah, and, and, and we've got, uh, speaking of Byron Bay, we do have uh, Tom Barnett coming back on with Mark from Solutions. Uh, this is Solutions Empowerment, I believe, there uh, to go over some common law solutions for what's going on. You know, that, that one video went super viral of the girl, of the, the pregnant woman getting her, in her house invaded by the Stasi as they come in because of a fake Facebook post. Whether that's real or not, I'm still wondering. It almost seems like total fear porn. But either way, we are all about solutions here, and there are, there are common law solutions, there are natural law solutions, there's just, you know, common sense solutions to most of this stuff, as Dr. Richard Allen uh, Miller was saying today. Um, and uh, so anyways, thanks so much, guys, for spending time with us today. Please go outside when you can, get some sun, uh, get some nature. That's what I'm going to go do right now, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>